Um, if you need a lesson, raise your hand. And Philip told me to be sure and tell everyone his email. That's another way to get old lessons. Some of you have been asking, and Mark Craver's going to try and find some of the older lessons. Uh, we have any lessons down here. Thank you, Carol. Um, but uh, don't hesitate to email Philip. His uh, initials uh, are the key to his email address. P for Philip, N for whatever it stands for, and S for Sanoff. P-N-S at LanierLawFirm.com. Um, so you can email Philip if you like it that way, and he can always send you uh, your, your things that way. Well, welcome to week four. Is this our fourth week? Is we're going through church history literacy. We're not quite out of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, the first century, but we're kind of delving out of it a little bit. We're going to start uh, a couple of weeks that we're going to spend on martyrs, and uh, we'll start that this morning. When you think of martyrs, you've got to remember that when Jesus came, and we'll steal from, from Leonardo da Vinci for a moment with the Last Supper painting. When Jesus came, he told his followers, not just his apostles, but all of his followers, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. That means people who are in the kingdom of God, you know, in a sense, uh, we're of this world, but in a real sense, we're not. Do you remember the TV show back when I was younger called V? Stood for Visitors. And they were like the aliens. Or do you remember the show, some of you who are older, like Ray Tucker, may remember the show. <laughs> may, may remember. I can just barely remember this one. But I can remember this was one of those shows that freaked me out as a kid that made me scared at night. Um, do you remember the show where they had the aliens who had invaded and the only way you could tell them was their pinky wouldn't bend? Does anybody remember that other than me? I remember that show. Because I used to walk around and I'd look for people at school whose pinky wouldn't bend. And I would avoid those people. Uh, and then my older sister, Catherine, used to walk around the house and say, I can't bend my pinky just to scare me. <laughs> so these things have left emotional scars very long and a, a well-blazed trail in my brain. Visitors to this world. Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. So that means the people who are in the kingdom of God in some ways are alienated from the world. Um, um, Alexander, Alexandra Pelosi is here this morning, and she's doing a special on religion across America, and she's from New York, and she was telling me right before, she said, you know, we heard about during the last election the moral vote, and she said, we just made a decision to trek across America and try to figure out who the moral vote is, who, you know, who are these people? Um, because in some regards, there is something different about us who, who, who are not of this world. And yet we live in this world and try to interact within it and try to do our best. We have a stewardship responsibility with who we are and what we are to love people and to love our, our environment and to take care of things the way that, that God would have us do it. But you know, Jesus not only said, my kingdom's not of this world, he gave some other insight to his followers and his disciples. He said, in the midst of the Jewish population, he said, I'm sending you teachers that you're going to kill, that you're going to crucify. And this was a stunning thought. How many people, if you want to sell religion, okay, you want to sell religion, what do you think you got a better shot at? Oh, I could stand up here and, and, and people can stand in pulpits and they can say, have I got a religion for you? Here's a religion that's going to make you rich. 
course, the key to that is give me your money first. Okay, that's, that's a Ponzi scheme. That's like a pyramid scheme taking place in the church. Don't, don't buy into the preachers who say, I'm going to make you rich if you'll make me rich first. Or you make me rich, I won't make you rich, God will. And then if it doesn't happen, well, it's his fault. That's not a hard religion to sell if I'm going to tell you, oh, get religion, you'll be rich. Or get religion, and you're just going to be, I mean, all of your life's going to be rosy. You got marital problems, they'll be gone. Poof! You got uh, um, personal problems, bam, they're out of here. That's not an easy, I mean a hard religion to sell. I'll tell you what though, Jesus didn't come saying, I'm going to make your life rosy, dandy, no more problems. Kid rearing, huh, happens automatic. You become a Christian, your kids will be walking in saying, I want to be a better person. How can I do that, Dad? <laughs> what Jesus said is, this is a really weird world. See, it's a fallen world. And you come into my kingdom and, 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 and you, you, you get this, uh, what, what is described as a born-again experience. You, you become a new creature, a new creation. And that means you're no longer part of this world. And, and, and the, when you go out to teach and you go out to do these things, you can get persecuted. Now that's not an easy religion to sell. Hey, come sign on with us and you can have some great persecution. If you really, really, you know, if the, the day's working out right for you, you can die. Okay. That's part of what the early church was being told. That's part of what Jesus told them. Now, the early church itself did not understand Jesus' ministry while Jesus was walking. Even his own apostles didn't. You've got to remember, Jesus goes to the tomb. He dies. And when Jesus is resurrected, one of his apostles, Thomas, is hearing about it from the other apostles. And what does Thomas say? Yeah, I believe it when I get to stick my finger in the holes in his hands. I believe it when my hand goes in his side where the spear went in. And that's one of the guys that Jesus had been talking to for years, saying, I'm going to die and on the third day I'll come back. And he didn't believe it until Jesus appeared. But when Jesus appeared, Thomas's doubts went away immediately. When Jesus appeared, his apostles understood and they didn't have any doubts anymore. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he's writing in the 50s. He's writing within 20 years of Jesus' resurrection. And Paul's able to say, not only naming names, Paul's able to say Jesus appeared after his death to over 500 people at one time and most of them are still alive. Go ask them. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a wonderful religious concept. It's something that physically happened on this earth. Physically on this earth, there was Jesus of Nazareth, who was God, who was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and appeared. And so in the early church, you've got eyewitnesses. An eyewitness is someone who is really in a position to say, now I'm a lawyer. I, I, not only that, I'm a trial lawyer. I try lawsuits. I deal with eyewitnesses on a regular basis. 
And there's a little test I have with an eyewitness. I would like them to put their money where their mouth is. I like to test them. A lot of people will say a lot of things until there's some reason for them not to, you know? Put your money where your mouth is. You've heard that expression. If you really believe it, if you really believe it, show me. Show me by what you're willing to put at risk. I have a friend who, who does financial advising. And people come to him and pitch business deals a lot. And I ask him, how do you evaluate a business deal? When someone comes to you and says, I got a business deal. You know what he said? First thing he does is, have you put your own money in it? Because he says, people will come to me with all the best business deals in the world, but they don't want to put their money in it. And my view is, don't tell me this is the best business deal in the world if you're not willing to risk your own do-re-mi. Okay? Well, I'll tell you, the early church, these people that saw Jesus put their money where their mouth was. They did more than that. They put their life on the line. The word martyr comes from the Greek word martus. Martus means a witness, like you would have in a courtroom. Someone who is an eyewitness, someone who saw something and is telling what it is they saw. We see it used in Acts, the first chapter, the 8th verse, the 22nd verse, the 8th verse I put on the screen, where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is Jesus after he's been crucified and resurrected. Jesus is speaking to people who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. And Jesus says, thank you, Philip, you will be my martyrs in Jerusalem. He didn't mean they were going to die when he said that. He meant that the, the Greek word Luke uses there is just a word for witnesses. You'll be my witness. But by the time we get to the book of Revelation, which is written around 95 AD, the word, Greek word martus has taken on a new turn. It means more than just a witness. It means a blood witness. I'm borrowing a Marc Chagall print for this picture. But the idea is that it's no longer someone who's just willing to say, hey, I saw it. But it's someone who doesn't just put their money where their mouth is. It's someone who will lay their life on the line for their testimony. They believe it enough to die for it. That's credibility. They believe it enough to die for it. A blood witness. Antipas. My faithful witness who was put to death. The word witness there in Revelation 2.13 is this Greek word martus. We just take that word and put it into English and we get the word martyr. Let's look briefly. I say briefly, we've got about 30 minutes. Let's look at the New Testament martyrs. And uh, what I'd like to do is not only look at the New Testament martyrs, but let's look at some early church martyrs that aren't, where the deaths are not covered in the New Testament. What happened to the rest of the apostles? Wouldn't you like to know? Well, this is church history, so let's talk about it. First, the first New Testament martyr was? Stephen. Very good. Acts 6 and 7 relate the story of Stephen. The church was having trouble because the church tries to feed the women, the widows, and the people who are hurting. And those that were Jewish-speaking women 
We're getting widows. We're getting more food than the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. And there was some controversy in the church. So the apostles, they can't do it all. The apostles designated seven deacons to go out there and to try and help. Stephen was one of those deacons. And Stephen gets brought down. By the way, this is a, a painting of Stephen that I've taken from Carlo Crivelli. He did this in 1476. Those are three stones. Uh, Stephen has three stones on him because he was stoned. That's right. This is um, um, a palm. And, and in old medieval paintings, you'll frequently see a palm as an indicator of a martyr. And the reason why is because the Greek word for palm is foinikos. I mentioned this in an earlier lesson. Foinikos, which looks like in the Greek the word phoenix. And phoenix was the legendary bird that would, would uh, die and, and come back 500 years later. So it, this became in painter's lore a way to indicate you've got a martyr. So I've stolen uh, this painting from Carlo Crivelli. He did it in 1476. This is St. Stephen. Stephen gets hauled in front of the Jewish tribunal, the, the, the Jewish rulers, the, the Jewish uh, judges. And they challenged him. And while they challenged Stephen, his face looks like an angel, Luke wrote in the, in the uh, book we call Acts. And Stephen proceeds to give a sermon that is an incredibly stunning sermon. He has two points in that sermon that I want us to consider. One point is, he says, um, you guys who are about to judge me, you've already killed and persecuted the prophets. Historically, you have done this. God sends a holy man with a holy message. You and your forefathers kill him. When I try cases, I typically don't go to the jury and the judge who are going to make decisions and, and, and do that. <clears throat> I typically don't stand up to a jury and say, Hey, you guys, y'all never make the right decisions. All you've managed to do so far is create such horrible injustice. Why should I expect any better? But Stephen wasn't there trying a case to, to win. Stephen was there proclaiming God, and he had seen a vision, and he knew his day was up, and he was speaking the truth. And I actually have done that in front of a judge one time. I had a judge, she just ruled against me all the time, I think, because she didn't like me or something. Someone told me I reminded her of her ex-husband. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but whatever I reminded her of, it was not a good thing. And I'd stand up, and sometimes I wouldn't even get my objection out. It'd be overruled, overruled. Two-week trial. She never sustained one of my objections. Other side, every time. Whatever they said, went. Whatever I said, didn't. And finally, she made some statement that just was terrible. And I took my glasses off and I tossed them on the table. She said, and the jury was out of the room. She said, Mr. Lanier, don't you throw your glasses at the table. And I picked them up and I said, I apologize. I should not have done that. It was done out of a moment of frustration. I'm frustrated because it's not enough, judge, that you dug a hole for my client. But you dug the hole, and then you put my client in the casket, and you dropped the casket into the hole. And you weren't happy with that. You took nails and nailed it all the way around the casket. And then you gleefully piled the dirt on and tap danced on top of the grave. I don't know why we have a jury when you're doing this. 
But typically, we don't do things like that. <laughs> it's just nice to know when we need to, there's some scriptural authority. That was one point. One point that Stephen made. The second point, Stephen, by the way, jury gave me everything I asked for in that case. And when I asked them why, they said, well, it was so obvious the judge hated your guts. We liked you. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the, oh, I could tell you days of that, but anyway. Um, that's one point Stephen made. Stephen made another point, though, that was very compelling for us. Stephen is speaking to the people who were empowered within Judaism within the temple. And the temple was the core of the Jewish faith. And Jews from all over the Mediterranean world would make a trek to the temple and make their sacrifices at the temple and would pay their taxes at the temple and would give at the temple. And it was the temple that was the core. And Stephen said some things that really weren't helpful for the power mongers at the temple. He said things like, you realize, of course, God works far away from the temple. Go back to Abraham. He got called when he was in Mesopotamia, not in Jerusalem. Not only that, he never really owned real estate in Israel. He was a wanderer. From there, the Jews went to Egypt, and that's where God called them out of. It wasn't Jerusalem. And Moses, where did he get the law? Mount Sinai. God did all of these things. And your temple here, David didn't even get to build the temple. It was built by Solomon. But don't be deceived. God doesn't dwell in the temple. God does not dwell in anything that man built. God made man. How's he going to dwell in something we make? God is much bigger than Jerusalem in the temple cult. That didn't go too well either. Bottom line, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. They killed him. It's celebrated. Does anybody know what day it's celebrated? December 26th, St. Stephen's. That's the feast day in honor of him. Now, what happened on December 26th, according to the song? Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. That's on December 26th, the day after Christmas. That song is where good King Wenceslas went out and helped the poor people. Also interesting, while we're on church history literacy, that's not the original tune. It was stolen for the Christmas carol. The original tune is a tune about martyrs. These are the original words. Christian friends, your voices raise. Wake the day with gladness. God himself to joy and praise turns our human sadness. Joy that martyrs won their crown, opened heaven's bright portal when they laid the mortal down for the life immortal. Boom. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> See, they clap when it's over. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm glad it's over, too. I just, this is, this is uh, a martyr song. So the Christmas carol fits well because it's sung with St. Stephen. They, they took the martyr's tune. Okay? Alright. Next martyr in the New Testament. James, the son of Zebedee. Who was his brother? John. Yeah, he was another apostle. You had one of them. Okay. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The sons of thunder. Jesus renamed them because they were... He was beheaded in Acts chapter 12. 
Now this was the fellow who with his brother John came to Jesus and said, when none of the rest of them were around, <clears throat> what do you think about when you like coming to your kingdom if one of us is at your right hand and the other's at the left? And Jesus looked at him and said, you really don't have a clue what you're talking about, do you? <laughs> it's a lot like we do with our kids when our kids come up with just something absolutely preposterous. You just want to sit there and you don't want to laugh at them in their face. We try hard not to, but sometimes they just come up and ask the most outlandish things. And Jesus just, you got to know inside he was kind of chuckling like, oh, goodness, you don't have a clue. But instead he was very polite and said, you really don't know what you're uh, asking. Do you think you'd be able to drink the cup I'm going to drink? You think you could walk the life? And they said, oh, yeah, we're ready. We can drink it right now. I don't know what it is. You bring it here and I'll drink it. And uh, Jesus says, well, in fact, you will drink the cup. But to sit at my right and left hand is God's decision. It's not mine to make. And uh, that story's in Mark chapter 10, 34 and 35. And, and that's, that's what happened to James. James um, uh, is beheaded in Acts chapter 12. If you... Greg Olinger... You need to go check on your baby. Um, the, uh, uh, if you ever travel much, you ever go to Spain, you can go up in, in the north, uh, hold on, it's northwest of Spain. There's a place called Santiago de Compostela where there's this incredible Catholic church supposedly where the body of James is interred. Uh, nobody knows for sure because we don't really have any good indication of what happened to James. Uh, he's beheaded pretty early. Um, um, but uh, uh, I can tell you what Clement of Alexandria wrote about James and his death a little over 100 years later in 170. Clement wrote the following. Well, let me, let me digress and tell you. There was a rat who ratted out James out. So there's a, a rat who, who goes and says, James is blah, 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 and James gets caught. And the rat listens to James give his defense, which is his testimony, his witness to Jesus. And the, the, the guy who rats him out becomes a Christian and winds up saying to the guys who are about to, to behead Stephen, he says, well, go ahead, I'm, I'm, he's got me convinced. And um, so here's what Clement says happened. They were both taken away. And on the way, the rat asked James to forgive him. James looked at the rat for a moment and replied, Peace be with you, and kissed him. And they were both beheaded at the same time. I don't even think James called him a rat. That's me. Um, but it's an interesting story that uh, uh, we get from history. We don't get it from Scripture. Luke in Scripture just tells us he was beheaded. Now, let's talk about some of the martyrs that were covered, uh, that, that, that are not covered in Scripture, but are covered in church history itself. Um, first of all, I want to go to uh, uh, James, Jesus' brother. This is a half-brother. This is the James who wrote the New Testament letter we call James after the book of Hebrews, okay? Um, James, Jesus' brother, uh, I'm stealing a, a, a picture here, but uh, uh, he's got a book which is one of the few ways you can tell who he is and uh, because he did write the, the letter of James. 
James, Jesus' brother, as we read the Gospels, doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. This is his crazy half-brother who's out doing all the nut stuff. Doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's the older brother who must have first child syndrome. But we do read in Scripture, and Paul references it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, that when Jesus is resurrected, he specifically goes to his brother James. And so he sees the resurrected Jesus. And what happened there and what was said, we don't know. But James, I mean, come on. You may not believe your brother's the Messiah or anything as special as everyone else seems to think. But when you see him crucified and you know he's dead and you know he's buried and after that you see him and he comes and talks to you, that's a pretty good life-changing experience for most. My father died almost two years ago. February 1st will be two years. If father, my father came back to me today, and he's there. And there's no question he can eat with me. It's not some apparition. It's not some dream. And he's around with all the rest of them. I'd want to know a little bit more. Because I've never experienced that in my life. And neither has anyone I know. We read from Paul also in Galatians 2 that James becomes a leader within the church at Jerusalem. And doesn't that make a lot of sense? So James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church. And um, he's got a nickname. He's called James the Just. He's called James the Just because he's a very holy man. And he's not just holy because his half-brother Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He'd been holy by Jewish standards from birth. He was a Nazarite. He had taken the Nazarite vows. That's not to be confused with Jesus the Nazarene. There was a Nazarite vow that says, no scissors on the hair. In fact, that's probably a pretty bad painting because the scissors wouldn't have been on the beard either. Never had hair cut since birth. Never had any alcohol. A very holy man didn't wear wool clothes, only wore linen, and was a vegetarian. Holy man. It's written that he had camel's knees. His knees, like camels, because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. The... Uh, this information that I've got on him, we're taking out of a, a fellow named Eusebius, who's an early church historian. This is a very good readable copy of his church history by Paul Mayer, M-A-I-E-R, if you're into reading it. But uh, Paul Mayer writes, uh, or I mean uh, translates Eusebius's church history. Eusebius wrote it in about 325. But Eusebius isn't just coming up with this in his brain. Eusebius is actually quoting from the first church historian we know about, a fellow named Hegesippus, who wrote in about 170. So this is real early stuff we've got here. And it's fascinating to me to read about it. The Jews are upset because Christianity is catching on so much, so they pull James the Just into the temple. And when they pull him into the temple, they say, hey, 
you know, we've known you forever. You're a real holy man. You need to like squash this stuff. Well, let me, let me read to you. Let me read to you what it says. James the Just. Now, since many of the rulers believed, there was an uproar among the Jews, scribes and Pharisees, saying the whole populace was in danger of expecting Jesus as the Christ. So they assembled together and said to James, Restrain the people. And we can vouch for the fact that you're righteous. You don't take anyone at face value. So persuade the crowd not to err regarding Jesus. In fact, stand on the parapet of the temple where you can be clearly seen and where your words can be heard by all the people. So the scribes and the Pharisees made James stand on the parapet. They shouted to him. You know, this whole thing's put together. And they just, I don't know what he was doing. I guess he was just a quiet guy who's listening. He didn't say no. So they put him on top of the parapet of the temple. And then, like the whole thing's set up, you know, okay. Oh, look, James' camel knees is up there. This is a holy moment. And then the crowds start looking and they start gathering around. And one of the Pharisees yells out, Oh, righteous one, whom we all ought to believe. Since the people are going astray after Jesus who was crucified, tell us, what does the door of Jesus even mean? Because Jesus says, I'm the door. You don't go to God but through me. James replies with a loud voice. He's finally talking. Why do you ask me about the Son of Man? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the great, powerful God. And Jesus will come again on the clouds of heaven. And many are convinced. And many are rejoicing. And they're starting to cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David! Then the scribes and Pharisees said to each other, <clears throat> We made a bad mistake. Says, let's go on up and throw him down so everyone will be afraid and no one will want to do what he's doing. So the Pharisees start crying out, Oh, even James the Just has gone astray. They went up, they threw him down, and they said, Now let's stone him. And they started to stone him because he didn't die from the fall. But he struggles to his knees. And he starts saying, I implore you, O Lord God and Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And while they were pelting him with stones, one of the priests among the sons of the Rechabites cried out, Stop. What are you doing? The righteous one is praying for you. Then one of them, a laundry man, took the club he used to beat out clothes and hit James the Just on the head and killed him. Um, if you keep up with archaeology, there was a box that was uh, quite a press item about a year or so ago. It's an ossuary, also called a bone box. See, when Jews, um, not exorbitantly rich Jews and not poverty-stricken Jews, but just normal middle-class Jews, from 30 B.C. until 70 A.D., when they would die, you would be put in a tomb for two or three years, but they could never afford tomb space for that many people in Jerusalem if you didn't have enough money. So after two or three years when your body decayed, 
they would take your bones and they would put them together in a little bone box called an ossuary. They quit using those with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They started in 30 BC, so there's a, just about a hundred year time gap when those were used. And one came to light recently, and uh, on it is an inscription. I don't know if you can make it out with the slide here, but this is the inscription, and most of them would bear an inscription so they'd know whose bones were in which box. This inscription is right here. It's Yaakov bar Yosef Achui Yeshua. Let's do it. It reads backwards, Y-A-C-O-B. Anybody want to guess? Jacob, which is Hebrew for James. Jacob, bar, son. That's Aramaic for son, like Simon bar Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. Next word, Yosef. Joseph. Simon, or James, son of Joseph. Akui is brother. Didn't expect you to know that one. <laughs> D means of, brother of, Yeshua, Jesus. Scholars got real upset over this find because um, it's common to have something, maybe say somebody, son of somebody. But in the ossuaries that they found, you never put who your brother was unless your brother was someone noteworthy. And so all scientists basically, all archaeologists immediately said, either this is James the brother of Jesus, or it's a fake. And uh, the scholars disagree on that issue. Uh, the bone box itself is from the right era. But is the inscription real or is it a fake? It depends on who you ask. There are good, solid scientists, in my opinion, on both sides of that issue. What about the rest of the apostles? What happened to them? Well, Andrew. Remember him? Do you all know what that is? Anybody? We got any horticulturalists? That's a plant. It's called the St. Andrew's Cross. There's also a spider called the St. Andrew's Cross. And if you want to see the Scottish national flag, it's a St. Andrew's Cross. St. Andrew's Cross is not one that's in the shape of a T, it's in the shape of an X. Because supposedly that's the way Andrew died. Andrew, we read about his death in a book called The Acts of Andrew. The Acts of Andrew was written around 200 A.D., maybe 250. And it's interesting what it says about Andrew because it says that Andrew um, was not uh, nailed to a cross. They put the cross in this way and they tied him to it. And the reason the guy did it is because he wanted Andrew not to die real quick. He wanted him to suffer. He figured if he tied him like this and he's got him down there, and this is basically ground level. This is not done for paintings where you, you know, it's way up at the top, like we see crucifixions. Um, that's ground level. And they figured at night, when the people weren't there protecting him, dogs would come and start eating his legs. And that's the way uh, Andrew was supposed to die. And Andrew embraced the, the, the cross. He, in fact, went there, and when the guys weren't ready to put him on it, he said, here, I'll take off my own clothes and this cross. The cross is what brought my Redeemer to meet the Lord and to save my sins. I've lived my life proclaiming the cross. What better way to die? I embrace the cross. So get on with it. 
The problem is they expected him to die in a day or two, and it took him four days. And the whole time, he's speaking and preaching. And people are... I mean, that guy's put his money where his mouth is. And he's just there on his cross. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you why this doesn't bother me. Let me tell you what you need to do. And everybody is just coming and compelled by what he says. And finally, the, the magistrate who ordered him crucified says, okay, enough of this. i got to take him down. Nobody will take him down because Andrew won't let him. So the magistrate comes and the magistrate's going to take him down and undo the ropes. Andrew says, time out. Before you do that, let me pray. God, do not let this devil do this to me. I don't want anybody to say I wasn't willing to die for you. And God, and with that, he breathed his last and he died. Um, Paul. Well, we looked at the letter of Clement last week, 95 AD, where Clement talked about Paul dying. But if we want to know how Paul died, uh, the best reference we've got for that was written about uh, a little less than 100 years later. Um, this, by the way, is a, a stained glass window, a medieval stained glass window of Paul out of Blackburn Cathedral in England. And it's got Paul with the sword because Paul was beheaded. Paul could not be crucified or burned because he was a Roman citizen. And Roman citizens couldn't suffer death that way. They suffered uh, uh, by beheading. But if we read the Acts of Paul, we'll see that Paul comes to Rome. Paul's anticipating his crucifixion. Titus and Luke are there. And, and Paul took a lot of strength in that because he had his friends near him. And uh, when Paul finally gets beheaded at Nero's order, uh, Paul does so. He, he, he faces, in fact, I don't have a lot of time, but uh, I can read you the passage very briefly. Paul stood with his face to the east and lifted up his hands unto heaven and prayed a long time. And in his prayer he conversed in the Hebrew tongue with God the Father, then stretched forth his neck without speaking. And the executioner struck off his head. Um, Peter. We read about Peter being crucified upside down. Uh, this is Caravaggio's painting, which is a Renaissance painting. He's an early Renaissance painter. But Peter gets crucified upside down. And you might have heard the rumors that G Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't consider it worthwhile to die the way the Messiah did. And that's in part what we draw from the Acts of Peter, but he actually goes into pretty good detail. It's, uh, uh, I, I won't explain it all. The Acts of Peter was written around 200 A.D., um, so that's how old this information is. But Peter, as he's about to be crucified, says, I beseech you, my executioners, crucify me like this, with the head down, and not otherwise. I'll tell the reason why after you do so to those who want to hear. And uh, he gives an explanation that says, you know, in the history of the human race after the fall, man comes in and he comes in head down. And while man thinks everything's right in the world, it's not. Because when you come in head down, your left hand is right and your right hand is left. And that's why man thinks things are good that are evil. And things that are evil are good. The whole mentality of the world is turned around. And Jesus was the way back to the Father. And Jesus shows us the world's mentality is upside down. So crucify me upside down. And let me bear witness to the fact that the fact that I'm dying alone says that this world's not thinking right.
It's an incredible story. St. Peter's Basilica supposedly is built on the site where Peter's death happened. We know his death was in Rome. That's the way St. Peter's Basilica looked when it was first uh, constructed. Those are based on the drawings. We don't have, obviously, a picture. But this is St. Peter's today, where you see uh, often the, the, the masses that are done. That's St. Peter's Square. That's the Basilica. The Basilica, was. this one was built in 333. Um, over the site. If you go inside the modern basilica today, you can go down into the basement and there's an altar built for Peter down in the basement and uh, archaeologists uh, uh, in the last few decades have found even below that, whoops, even below that altar uh, a, a skeleton. Um, was it Peter? I don't know. Nobody knows, but it's interesting. It was an age 60 to 70 year old man with his feet missing, which if you're crucified upside down, it would be the easy way to take you off the cross. It would be to go ahead and just take you off with your feet. Um, John. What happened to John? Well, John's death is recorded by Lucius, who was one of his uh, disciples, and it was written about 50 years after he died. And uh, John went through a lot of horrible events, but his death itself, um, uh, actually, he was the only one of the apostles we think that probably died peacefully. Um, he sealed himself in every part. He stood and said, Thou art with me, O Lord Jesus Christ. And he laid himself down in a trench. He had done his own burial thing. He knew he was going to the Lord. He laid himself down in the trench where he had strewn his garments. And having said to us, Peace be with you, brethren, he gave up his spirit, rejoicing. Um, Philip, uh, in the Acts of Philip, uh, he was crucified most likely. There are questions about whether that's the Philip who's a deacon, talked about in Acts 6, or is that a Philip who's the apostle? And it all gets murky, and I don't think there's much reliable history. The other apostles, there's not a lot of reliable history that when I read as a critical lawyer makes me say, yeah, I'd put them on the witness stand. That's believable to me. It doesn't pass my mustard test. Um, so you might read some of this stuff. There's a book that you can buy off Amazon.com. That's the little arrow. <laughs> I clipped the rest of their advertisement. Fox's Book of Martyrs by John Fox. John Fox um, uh, fled to Switzerland in the mid-1500s to escape some persecution in England and wrote a book of martyrs. And it's subsequently been kept up to date. You can get versions that include martyrs into the 21st century, or 20th century at least. But uh, um, he'll list how these guys all died. And, and it's a lot of that's folklore for these early deaths. I don't find something that credible. Um, but that, in essence, is, is some of the first Christian martyrs that we have. Let me tell you where I want to go with this next week. I want to talk about why Christians were killed. You know, it's one thing for uh, Nero or someone like that to say, let's put them to death. But why did the populace allow that to go on? What was it about Christianity that was so offensive? And uh, we'll not only look at that from Christian sources, but we'll look at secular sources and what they had to say about the Christians as well. Here are our points for home this week. First of all, Jesus radically affected his generation and the generations following. Radically affected. People who did 180s, not just his half-brother James, but, but I mean, massive groups of people like wildfire. And it's not because of a message preached about prosperity. It was in the face of horrible persecution. Number two, faith in Jesus brought joy in death by people who had been eyewitnesses of a resurrected Lord. 
people who knew beyond any shadow of, of doubt that Jesus Christ had been resurrected and they would share in a resurrection. It's understandable they would have joy in death. Now, we have the same Jesus. We're not the eyewitnesses. We read what they wrote, but we have the same Jesus. We have a faith that's worth dying for. Isn't it worth living for? Isn't it worth changing the way we do things today? So I'll leave you with this passage from Hebrews 12. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the testimony of your saints that we can see our brothers and later we'll see our sisters as well who have given their lives out of conviction and, and awareness of who you are and what you have done. Lord, you've set us free from this world and you've set us free from its sin and its corruption and we live in a liberty uh, that, that can only come through our, our, our allegiance and our, our dwelling in your kingdom. And when we walk through this world, Lord, it is my earnest prayer that we'll do it with the love and the compassion and the caring that you've given us, with the faith and the confidence that you hold our days in your hands. Lord, you, we have every reason to be so different than everyone else, and, and not in a harsh way, but in a way that shows your love and kindness and, and caring. And it is my prayer that you'll make that real in our lives by your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.